Hello, my Rebels. Today, I give you a bit of a roundup of how the anti-lockdown, anti-mask movement is going around the world. I'll show you a fascinating new report we have from Berlin, Germany, where there was a huge rally for freedom on the weekend. I couldn't believe it. I'll also give you some interesting thoughts from Britain's best teacher on what schools are going to be like, and school children in particular, with mandatory masks. She's got quite a take. Um, but before I do, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's eight bucks a month, which is less than Netflix, and you get the video version of this podcast, as well as a video every week from Sheila Gunn-Reed and David Menzies. And when I say video, I mean a whole show, a whole show. So you're getting my daily show plus weekly shows by Sheila and David. That's a lot of TV for eight bucks a month and the satisfaction of knowing that you're supporting Canada's most important, independent, don't-take-money-from-Trudeau journalists. Okay, here's today's show. Tonight, a massive anti-mask, anti-lockdown protest in Berlin, Germany. And we had a reporter there. It's August 31st, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Ezra. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish is because it's my bloody right to do so. It's August 31st, tomorrow, September already. We've been in this pandemic madness for half a year, which is odd. All they told us was two weeks to flatten the curve, two weeks to slow the spread, by which they meant it's impossible to stop the spread of a virus unless we literally shut down life and all social interaction. But if we slow down the virus, it won't overwhelm our hospitals. And the two weeks part, they said that was the time it took to incubate the virus, so two weeks was enough to see if we could do it. Turns out there was never actually a curve to flatten. Justin Trudeau and Theresa Tam followed panicky public health models that said we'd have between 50,000 and 350,000 deaths from the virus. That would overwhelm our hospitals. But in fact, the total number is about 9,000. And that includes a death for any reason where the person also happened to have the virus. So they'd count a heart attack as a virus death. The other day when I was researching virus deaths in Alberta, I learned that even at the maximum, the peak number of patients in that province who were in intensive care units ever, province-wide, was 22. In the whole province, it never got higher than that. Here's the latest stats. Literally seven people in the whole province in the ICU. In a province of four and a half million people, there is one single person in all of Calgary in intensive care. Calgary, a city of 1.3 million people. There's one in ICU. But as our friend Mark Morano told us last week in a chilling interview, this is the new thing. He, it has replaced climate change as the universal panic that politicians will use to control us because people are actually scared of it in a way that no one really believed the global warming stuff. No one actually believed all that. No one changed their lives as if they truly were worried about global warming. But people are panicking about COVID-19, which is no deadlier than the annual flu. So it's going to replace global warming as the excuse to do anything and everything from new spending and new taxing and new borrowing to suspending your civil liberties. Forget the Green New Deal. No one ever really was revved up about that. Forget Greta Thunberg's school strike. That was just a circus act 
But this, this pandemic, it's the big thing. It's going to be made permanent. They're talking about the next phase lockdown. Joe Biden's talking about a federal lockdown in January if the scientists say it's necessary. Why would it be necessary to get cases down to zero? And there's no evidence that lockdowns work. There's zero evidence that masks work. Masks actually the other way, even in hospital settings, cases of influenza and viruses go up because people end up either calming, you know, not taking the other protocols or they touch their face. A mask makes your face a target for your hands, which have many viruses. So going back to the 1970s, masks studies actually show that masks aren't effective in preventing viruses, yet they're now mandated uh, across the country. I'm depressed by this. I see that most people believe that mandatory masks are BS. That's how I sense the people I encounter. But if they're forced to wear it, well, they want you to be forced to wear it too. Some people take the opposite approach. If they see you not wearing a mask, they feel permitted to be a dissident too. But far more in my observation, people hate wearing the mask and they hate that they have to submit to it. So if you don't submit to it, in some ways you're shaming them because they're so submissive. So they're mad. They go into full Karen mode, you know, scolding, tattling. I hate it because it's turning people against each other. It's turned people into informants and snitches and scolds and tattlers because they don't want to wear the mask. But if they do, then you have to also. But look at this. Let me show you a video report from Berlin, Germany. A huge anti-mask, anti-lockdown protest with the theme, think for yourself, use common sense. Oh, the authorities hated it, calling it Nazi-like, of course. But it wasn't. It was a whole spectrum of people, including, to my surprise, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Here, watch the video, which you might have missed since we just put it up on YouTube yesterday. In the heart of the city of Berlin, thousands of people are gathering today peacefully to send a signal to the German government against the COVID-19 restrictions, which are on many people's view, way too extreme, not necessary, and violates fundamental human rights and dismantle democracy. The organization behind it called Queer Denken, translated as critical thinking, highlighted very specifically on the website this week that this should be the most peaceful demonstration ever and that all participants should be respecting the guidelines set out by the city council. The mayor of Berlin, Michael Müller, member of the Social Democrats, responded in a talk show earlier this week. It annoys me beyond measure. They're traveling from Frankfurt, Stuttgart to Berlin and make riots in our city. They don't know what the facts are and therefore risking the health of other people. Senator for the Interior Andreas Geisel declared on Wednesday on the mainstream news, I am not prepared to accept that Berlin is misused as a stage for COVID-19 deniers and right-wing extremists. We are peaceful people, like from the beginning there was never a violence, anything, it's all in the media. You know, there's like many, many, many thousands of people coming peacefully together and it's a great, great feel of heart, like it's really a peaceful demonstration. So what is your point today? What media is lying to us, what politicians lying to us. For example? For example, if we start with Corona, there's like a pandemic situation which is not happening. There's not much of a, a mortality rate in the world. Like, I don't know in other countries, but in Europe, in Germany especially, we have a just normal de- death rate. There's no overall death. Initially, the city council banned the demonstration. To make it even more confusing, the anti-protests against the COVID-19 protests were allowed. 
because I can't allow that Nazis and the fascists are marching together with these weird, crazy people from Tianan here in Berlin. And they are here in the thousands, and I just cannot allow this to happen without protesting against it. Well, why do you think they're Nazis? Well, it's quite obvious, like all the really right-wing, right-extremist fascist groups have mobilized today here, so like, Huge parts of the group of the demonstrations are just against the um, the coronavirus, uh, like what Merkel did and everything. But like a lot of right-wing groups mobilized here today, and they are very obviously right-wing and right-extremist groups and fascists. So they're here. Like you can see it. You see their shirts. You see their tattoos. What's the solution? Well, that's hard to say. I mean, people can believe in all kinds of stupid shit, but they should not march together with Nazis. So I think that's the bottom line. It seems to me that the police is taking a little bit of a demonstration of power to the people. Currently, the police stopped the people and locked down all the streets because, because people didn't maintain that one and a half meter distance. And uh, all these people are well, kind of stuck and waiting for um, for the next uh, for the next step. The hoogste rechter in Berlijn heeft toegelaten dat de demonstratie weer wordt geopend, dat er mensen worden doorgelaten, maar de politie. Die uh, is daartegen en die heeft nu aan de leiding van de demonstratie gezegd: wij gaan dit politiematig gaan we de demonstratie uh, beëindigen en ja. uit elkaar drijven. Ja, we zien, we zien geen andere mogelijkheid. Nee, dus je ziet nu een, een conflict tussen de rechterlijke macht ja. Ja. en de politie in Berlijn. So the march has been officially banned and people walking well, on their own. Um, to the Siegesäule where the, where the official demo will take place. This behavior of the city council is exactly the reason why the people are going to the streets. You are allowed to demonstrate, but not against government rules in a crisis as such. And that's the question, whether it's still a crisis or did it have become a political tool. heute hier, weil ihr nicht mehr wollt, dass euch jemand sagt, wie ihr zu leben und zu denken habt. Und ich stehe hier mit dem Grundgesetz, das uns seit mehr als 70 Jahren die Grundrechte garantiert. Es ist das Beste, was uns bisher passiert ist, aber konnte uns im Jahr 2020 nicht davor beschützen, dass die Regierung sich immer weiter selbst ermächtigt. Yes, I was here and I spoke to maybe three to five thousand Nazis. I see people of every color. I see people from every nation, every religion, all caring about human dignity, about children's health, about political freedom. This is the opposite of Nazism. <laughs> Governments love pandemics. They love pandemics for the same reason they love war. Because it gives them the ability 
to impose controls on the population that the population would otherwise never accept. You can do this in a Nazi regime, you can do it in a socialist regime, you can do it in a communist regime, you can do it in a monarchy and a democracy. The only thing a government needs to make people into slaves is fear. 50 years ago, my uncle John Kennedy came to this city because Berlin was the front line against global totalitarianism. And today again, Berlin is the front line against global totalitarianism. He proudly said to the people of Germany, each behind their leader. It has long since to be about criticism of the decisions had to be made during the pandemic time, but it's much more about the public's voice guarding the thin line between governments caring for its people or wanted to control them. My name is Moran Pools on freelance assignment for Rebel News Berlin. I found that hopeful, but of course they'll be flattened by Angela Merkel who has always been against freedom, especially freedom of speech. Remember this comment? Meinungsfreiheit in unserem Land ist gegeben. Und all die, die dauernd behaupten, sie dürfen nicht mehr ihre Meinung sagen, denen muss sie einfach sagen, wer seine Meinung sagt. Und wenn sie pronunziert ist, der muss damit leben, dass es Widerspruch gibt. Es gibt keine Meinungsfreiheit zum Nulltarif, dass alle zustimmen. die Meinungsfreiheit kennt Grenzen und die beginnen da, wo gehetzt wird, da, wo Hass verbreitet wird, die beginnen da, wo die Würde anderer Menschen verletzt wird und dagegen werden und müssen wir uns stellen in diesem Hause und das werden wir auch hinbekommen, meine Damen und Herren, denn sonst ist diese Gesellschaft nicht mehr das, was sie sagen. It's not much better in the United Kingdom. You'd think they'd be a bit more defiant in the face of big government. Maybe they'll care once they get the bill Boris Johnson's finance minister is about to bring in the biggest tax increases since World War II to pay for all this. And for what? In a country of over 65 million people, sometimes days pass without a single death from the virus. It's not a thing anymore, the pandemic, other than as an ongoing excuse to tax and spend and regulate and censor and ban freedom. There was an anti-lockdown protest in London's Trafalgar Square, too. Pierce Corbyn, the dissident, semi-conservative brother of Jeremy Corbyn, the former Labour leader, he was uh, the key speaker at an anti-lockdown demonstration. He was fined £10,000 for that by the government. He made the mistake of having a peaceful protest as opposed to a violent riot or wrecking the statue of Churchill. Those don't get fines by the British police. What are you, crazy? The Czech Republic seems to have an independent spirit. It was set to impose a massive mask law, but it pulled back. Perhaps they're too recently freed from the Soviet bloc to give up their liberties as quickly as the UK is. We had a Canadian rally in the same vein over the weekend on Parliament Hill. Pretty big. A variety of speakers, lots of science, certainly more than you'd hear in any left-wing rally. I'm not sure if I agree with every word said there, but again, peaceful. Nobody tearing down statues of Johnny MacDonald. That happened in Montreal. Montreal police just stood by as it happened, didn't even try and stop them. A statue that stood for more than a century. And the CBC was pretty excited to see it torn down, to be honest. And silence for more than a day from Justin Trudeau, the local MP. 
That's how criminals are treated by the Canadian political establishment. But the peaceful expression of dissent? Well, the CBC calls anyone who doesn't like the lockdown a conspiracy theorist or a kook. Yeah, I think you're projecting a bit, you guys. Speaking of Trudeau's state broadcaster, I wonder what their coverage will be of this news from the United States, that only 6% of U.S. deaths from the virus happened from the virus alone, as in the other 94% had one, two, three other causes of death, heart attack plus COVID, stroke plus COVID. So the stats are about as accurate and reliable as global warming models. Remember what Ontario's deputy health minister, health officer, excuse me, said about that? If you test somebody today, uh, you only know if they're infected today. And in fact, if you're testing in a population that doesn't have very much COVID, you'll get false positives almost half the time. Hey, school's about to start over the protest of teachers' unions. They're part of the ruling class, you see. They have been getting paid no matter what. There's a certain class of people who have loved this lockdown. They get all the pay, but none of the work or reduced work. No one in the public sector has lost a dime. They've loved the last six months. Let me leave you with a series of tweets about masks in schools. By Britain's leading school headmistress, Catherine Burblesing, her specialty is minority kids in tough economic circumstances, tough social circumstances, kids who are normally forgotten or thrown away by the establishment. She turns them into outstanding learners and achievers. Here she is responding to official rules about masks being required in schools. Let me read some of her responses. For example, four masks, four washed masks per day per student. She says, do these people know what schools are like? Some come to school with unwashed uniforms, hungry, not having slept. Are these families really going to provide them with four washed masks daily? We are living in a fantasy world that is unhelpful. The emperor has no clothes. And she wouldn't know. She's the best teacher in Britain. I'll read some more. Your masks in schools opinion depends on how bad you think school behavior can be. If you think schools are an oasis of calm, sensible behavior, masks seem fine. If you think children are far more complex, you instantly see how masks will make them less safe. I'll read more. SLT's school leadership teams, under pressure to make right decisions for their intake, if you feel masks needed in corridors, then why not classrooms too? How can pair work and group work be fine in classrooms but corridors need masks? What I can't bear is the dishonesty in this discussion. Oh, she's so right. I'm going to keep going here. Kids will lick and spit in each other's masks. Swap and ping them. Kids will be constantly touching their faces to readjust their masks. Teachers must realize this. Are we in such denial of typical kid behavior? Uh, SLTs, that's school um, leadership teams, should create environments where teachers can teach. And finally... Why is Michaela, that's her school, behavior so good? Not because of detentions. It is because we preempt behavior with accurate precision. We create environments where they will not misbehave in the first place. Masks are a Trojan horse. They make us feel better, but they are the enemy. Britain's top teacher with the toughest kids to teach. That's what she thinks. What do you think? What do you think? I think she's exactly right. Kids are kids. Some kids will be momentarily scared into wearing masks. But many will soon realize it's just a joke. Kids look around and see that no one else is really taking masks seriously on, off, whatever, just to comply with arbitrary rules. And kids test boundaries and they have fun. And, you know, some are bullies and some get bullied 
That's what kids are like. I think we pretty much know what kids will do here, but what, I wonder, will the so-called grown-ups do? Are they going to kick kids out of school by the hundred, by the thousand? Are they going to suspend them? Are they going to punish their parents? I know what the teachers' unions want. They want less school, less work, but more unionized teachers and more pay, pretty obvious. And the politicians? They just want this spending carnival atmosphere to continue. Yeah, Mark Moreno was right. This is a bigger scam than even global warming. Stay with us for more. In the heart of the city of Berlin, thousands of people are gathering today peacefully to send a signal to the German government against the COVID-19 restrictions, which are on many people's view, way too extreme, not necessary, and violates fundamental human rights and dismantles democracy. The organization behind it, called Queer Denken, translated as critical thinking, highlighted very specifically on the website this week that this should be the most peaceful demonstration ever, and that all participants should be respecting the guidelines set out by the city council. Well, that was an outstanding report that we were lucky enough to publish yesterday. It was produced and filmed by Moraine Pulse, who is a freelance journalist who attended a massive protest, a peaceful protest in the main, in Berlin, Germany, against lockdowns and mask laws. Joining us now via Skype from Berlin is Moraine Poles. Well, what a pleasure to have you do on-the-ground journalism for us in Europe. Because of the pandemic, we can't travel there. It's great to have you Hi. on the ground for us. Thanks for doing that. Well, thanks for letting me. It was, uh, it was good to do it. And I think it's important enough to, you know, to find that connection. And we, we did. So, yeah. Well, that was excellent. And although this is, I believe, our first interview, I know you've talked to my colleague, Sheila Gunn-Reed, uh, in the past about some of your other work. Just to tell our viewers who may not be familiar with that, uh, tell us a little bit about some of the past journalism and documentaries that you've produced. Yeah, I'm, I'm mainly an independent, yeah, it's still existing, an independent documentary maker. And uh, I covered documentaries about climate change, um, whereby I'm, you know, visiting both sides, which I think it's journalistic, very interesting to do, to um, ask these questions. Why are you pro? Why are you anti? And, you know, stranding somewhere in the middle. And uh, the second film is Paradigma. It's, uh, it's about tribalism, uh, what we're facing today. And currently I'm working on a on a, uh, the third independent story uh, called Return to Eden. It will be released in two weeks, I guess, on YouTube, uh, which is about, uh, well, it's all about coming home. And I think that's, uh, it's about time to come home as humanity and, uh, you know, uh, find our, our, our home and our existence um, in this, in this turbulent times. Well, so, yeah, big. The last 15 years, I, I, I made documentaries, mainly in development countries, I must say. And um, well, nowadays, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, report the situations where, where we're in today. It's a, it's a turbulent time and it's very interesting, journalistically uh, spoken, to, to cover it and to find, you know, somewhere in the middle in the coming round. 
Well, I was very impressed with the quality of your work, and it was very even-handed. You spoke to both sides. I would encourage our viewers to watch the full video report you did. It's almost 10 minutes long. It's on our YouTube channel. One of the most interesting moments was when you talked to uh, left-wing protesters uh, who said that people who are worried about wearing masks, people who are worried about the lockdown, they're Nazis. For sure, she was so adamant that they were actual members of the Nazi party. And I can only imagine how powerful uh, an accusation that is in Germany. I mean, it's, a, it's an absurdly powerful and sharp insult in Canada, the United States. But in Germany, that's like dropping, the, dropping a bomb on someone. When you pressed her, she really didn't have a good answer. Here, let's play that clip right here. Why are you standing here today? because I can't allow that Nazis and the fascists are marching together with these weird, crazy people from Tiananmen here in Berlin. And they are here in the thousands, and I just cannot allow this to happen without protesting against it. Well, why do you think they're Nazis? Well, it's quite obvious, like all the really right-wing, right-extremist fascist groups have mobilized today here. So like, huge parts of the group of the demonstrations are just against the um, the coronavirus, uh, like what Merkel did and everything, but like a lot of right-wing groups mobilized here today and they are very obviously right-wing and right extremist groups and fascists. So they're here, like you can see it, you see their shirts, you see their tattoos. What's the solution? Well, that's hard to say. I mean, people can believe in all kinds of stupid shit, but they should not march together with Nazis. So I think that's the bottom line. You were very patient with her. And I think that proved that she was just there to, to call names um, I, I find that that's how a lot of the left works these days. You say that you like to hear both sides. I don't think that protester there actually listened to the, to the legitimate complaints of the protesters. I, I think she came in with her narrative that these were evil people on the far right. And in fact, um, there were people of all different backgrounds there. Tell us a little bit about who you saw there. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I I didn't take that too much serious, what she was saying to me. But, you know, as I am a journalist, I, I try to cover both sides. And that's what I did. Um, but what I saw was the opposite of, of Nazism, the opposite of, you know, nationalism. It was a quite diverse public. It had nothing to do with left, right. It has, uh, you know, the horizontal fight was, wasn't there. It was just from, you know, we, the people against against the politics, against the media. Uh, and and, and that, that whole protest was so peaceful. And I, I did try to find some Nazis and I did try to find some, some right-wing extremists, but you know, to be honest, I couldn't find them. But normal, uh, nowadays in Germany, when you walk with a German flag, you are a right-wing extremist. Hmm. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's kind of, um, yeah. Well, in it, fact, you know, I, the most surprising thing in your report, it, just hit me, I was not ready for it, was a guest appearance by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who I regard mm. as a left-wing activist in the United States. I know he's an environmental activist. Um, and I don't think he would be attending any Nazi rally in Germany, I can tell you that. Let's play a quick clip of RFK Jr., who I had no idea was concerned about pandemic panics. Here's a quick clip of this from your report for us. They're going to report that, yes, I was here and I spoke to maybe three to 5,000 Nazis. I see people of every color. 
every nation, every religion, all caring about human dignity, about children's health, about political freedom. This is the opposite of Nazism. You know what? I, my esteem for him has grown. How did the mainstream media in Germany cover this icon of the American left? Maybe not the far left, but he's certainly a, a Kennedy. He's a Kennedy all the way down. They're a famous liberal family. How did the mainstream media in Germany handle his presence there? They didn't. That's the, they didn't. They didn't at all because this is a very dangerous speak for speech for the mainstream media because what he was saying, you know, I was left in tears after after the speech. I must say, and everybody uh, surrounding me were were you know quite hit by what he said. And um, you know, this is a very dangerous thing for the media to to. You know, and and all the the tapes of the major media weren't running on that on that particular time. They they did wrote about it, and then they said, you know, there weren't so many interesting speakers. Um, except uh, Kennedy was good, but they didn't say what he was trying to say. And you know, I, I think that was very important. That what what he was saying is that, you know, we're all this is our common ground. We are trying to. To get our lives back, and we don't want uh, pandemics, which kind of are, uh, being in instrumentalized by politicians. We don't want to, you know, lose too much freedom and and give too much power to the to, to the to the government. And I think that that was a that was an outstanding speech. And um, well, the media they are not they are not writing about it, and that should this should be it. It was an historical moment because you know his uncle stand there you know when the wall came down and and spoke the words ich bin ein berliner um and and you know he said that again you know a couple of decades later mm -hmm. so it was quite historical but you know the mainstream media could could take that story and make it a story of hope and inspiration but on the other side, they they took you know they were focused on the uproar, you know people were making uproar. There weren't many, but you know as a, as a huge event as that, uh, you know always happening some 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 little uproars, and they are focusing fully on that on these moments, and and they just really, it's a shame actually to to see that the media is stranded in in, in this kind of a narrative um, that they, you know. They're not belonging to the people anymore. That's that's the, the bottom line, I guess, and and that's very shameful. And um, and that's why I felt the urge to you know go in the field with my camera and report the sites um, which I was seeing. And I think it's a very honest um, display of what happened that day. There was there was peaceful. The whole organization Querdenker is you you need to understand they were they were preparing for this for weeks and they were highlighting very specifically on the website that, you know, everybody should be peaceful. They even had uh, manuals, you know, what to do when you'll be arrested, when, when some uproar is happening in your, uh, you know. And there were hundreds of organizations, uh, people to, you know, try to, you know, make things um, go into the right direction. And I think they succeeded because there were I mean, the mainstream numbers are 40,000, but, you know, I think that it's very hard to estimate, but I think there were very much more. Yeah. But it's very difficult to, 
you know, have a peaceful event like that with tens of thousands of people. And I think they, they, they earn so much credit for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that should be the story in the narrative. But unfortunately, it wasn't. Yeah, I saw some aerial uh, shots of the crowd. It was enormous. Uh, and it wouldn't it surprise me if it was much more than the official number of 40,000. Yeah. Now, uh, I understand from your report that there were attempts to ban this protest. Uh, at the mm-hmm. last moment, a judge permitted it, but the police wanted to shut it down. Uh, I take it that censorship in Germany is a fairly regular occurrence, especially under this government. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. It's definitely true. Whenever, you know, whenever you say what the government narrative is, then, you know, you can say whatever you want. But if you're saying something against the narrative, you're being, you know, right away being accused as, you know, or a COVID-19 denier or a right-wing extremist or a climate denier, you know, the worst thing, um, what you can put on people. And they do to give you a certain frame that you're done, you know, nobody wants to speak to right-wing extremists. So this is the narrative in, in Germany. And, um, and but I must say, you know, I'm living in a, in a, in a relatively small state in, in, in Germany, Saxony Anhalt, and they experienced the, uh, you know, the former communism regime here. And they have a sort of, they are more awake as the whole West because they they seen this this before mm-hmm. and they know the, the you know the direction we are going um, and it's an extreme it's an extreme narrative uh, even though you know you saw it um, just one week ahead of the event this the city council uh, the mayor and uh, the senator for in a, for the interior they wanted to block the, the whole demonstration, so the whole event. And uh, they didn't succeed, luckily, uh, but it was just one day before that the judge said, no, it should be continued. But under the guidings of the city state, so, you know, and, and these were the one and a half meter distance. And then we were at the event. And of course, it's very hard to, you know, to protect that guideline of one and a half meter because you, you're with over 40,000 people. And then I saw the police taking a little bit of a demonstration of power to, you know, stand up in a line and push the people inwards. Hmm. So they couldn't have that space anymore of one and a half meter. And you saw rapidly that, you know, uh, then they blocked the street and they said, okay, you're locked uh, and we fenced off where you are. So stay where you are uh, because we're uh, we're banning this uh, demonstration. And then the judge, the highest judge in Berlin said, no, the people should be allowed to continue. And the police took over that decision and they said, no, hmm. we decided today and we're banning this march to the demonstration. And that's, that's a really concerning thing that the police is above the judge. Yeah. Well, let me um, play for you in closing a, a clip of Angela Merkel from last year. And uh, it's less than a minute long. She talks about well, I'll just let her do the, uh, the talking. This is in German, obviously, but we have English subtitles. Take a look at this. Freiheit in unserem Land ist gegeben. Und all die, die dauernd behaupten, sie dürfen nicht mehr ihre Meinung sagen, denen muss sie einfach sagen, wer seine Meinung sagt. Und wenn sie pronunziert ist, der muss damit leben, dass es Widerspruch gibt. Es gibt keine Meinungsfreiheit zum Nulltarif, dass alle zustimmen. 
Aber die Meinungsfreiheit kennt Grenzen. Und die beginnen da, wo gehetzt wird, da, wo Hass verbreitet wird. Die beginnen da, wo die Würde anderer Menschen verletzt wird. Und dagegen werden und müssen wir uns stellen in diesem Hause. Und das werden wir auch hinbekommen, meine Damen und Herren. Denn sonst ist diese Gesellschaft nicht mehr das, was sie wollen. So we have to stop freedom of speech or society won't be free. That's, that's like a pretzel I'm turning around in my mind. We have to stop freedom of speech or we won't be free if we don't stop freedom of speech. I find that terrifying. What, do, what does the average German think? I mean, I, I'm worried that um, you call anyone a Nazi, even Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and there's still a, a reflex in Germany to say, oh, shut them down because we don't want to have anything to do with our Nazi past. If they say Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and people worried about masks are Nazis, we just have to go along like robots. I don't know. I'm, I'm not in Germany. What's it like? Well, this is exactly the end game of liberal liberalism. Um, when you see that, you know, whatever kind of ideology you're you're behind, you know, communism, uh, uh, socialism, nationalism, or um, liberalism, it all has an end, you know, and and. Right now, Germany and especially um, Mrs. Merkel is on her on a point that she said, "Okay, we're now there where we wanted to go." So this is liberalism, mm -hmm. and everything out of the box, out of our nar narrative of liberalism, should be is a potential danger to disturb our ideology, hmm. and then the liberalism, the, the liberal thought will turn around 180 degrees and become totalitarian. And that's, that's every ideology has that in it. So, and, so then, then liberals cannot, cannot act with the chaos uh, where they normally are thriving on. Hmm. You know, so, so this is a very dangerous thing. And I call it the end game of the liberal, the liberal states that you know, they are stuck in their liberal Thing. And, you know, how liberal liberalism is for me, you know, the enlightenment period, period, you know, a lot of perspectives together. And, you know, this is chaotic. But in between that chaotic, you can find a way to, you know, what do we want? What is the direction? And the moment you don't allow chaos, uh, chaotic systems like people, uh, that's what we are, in your society, you become totalitarian. Yeah. And then the whole liberal thinking, you know, then you say, yeah, we're liberal. Okay, so I'm communist. So am I allowed to speak up? No, because we are protecting uh, liberalism against communism. So that's saying that you're not liberal, hmm. you know? So this is the paradox of, of that whole ideology Merkel is, is, uh, is playing. And, you know, we're pretty much in the end game. And it's a very interesting time where, um, <laughs> how does this, you know, uh, continue? Well, uh, it's fascinating to me. I'm so grateful that you made that report for us. And I look forward to your new documentary, which is coming out shortly. And uh, hopefully we can continue to work with you in the future. You have such an interesting perspective in such an interesting time. And I'm sure that there'll be no shortage of news from Europe. It's great to meet you and to talk with you. Thank you for your help. Yeah, you have my number, so call me anyway. <laughs> well, we absolutely will take you up on that. What a pleasure. Yeah. Well, we've been talking to Moraine Pulse from Berlin, who did such a great job, and I encourage you to go on our YouTube channel and watch his report in full. Thanks, Moraine. Stay with us. More ahead.
Hey, welcome back to my monologue Friday about Trudeau hiring people based on race. Carol writes, hiring or not hiring according to race is a perfect example of systemic racism. You are so right. I know all these leftists and most journalists say systemic racism, but they can't actually point to an example of racism in our society. But Trudeau's racist inventory is such an example. Good point. Paul writes, it's a no-win road when you hire based on anything except qualification. Well, and, but the thing is, presumably you're making up for some historical grievance. That was the genesis of racial quotas and affirmative action in the United States, a way to help people who were held back now get ahead, although it wasn't the same people being benefited and the same people being punished. Um, slave owners and slaves from 150 years ago are not here to take gifts or penalties. Why would someone who comes to Canada today in the year 2020 with a certain race have a benefit over someone born in Canada with a different race, neither has any history of domination over the other? Why are we using a system that was designed to equalize a historic grievance when we don't have that historic grievance? The the whole thing is to racialize all of us to make all of us think of ourselves in terms of race. That's exactly the opposite of what Martin Luther King told us to do. On my interview with Mark Morano, Robert writes, the sheep keep falling for the propaganda. Oh, I've never seen it this bad. I've never seen people follow a government edict this willingly, and it's because they're genuinely afraid. They have done a master class of convincing us to be afraid. And, I mean, I feel that flicker sometimes myself. Oh, is that person got it, or should I stay away from them? Because you don't know. Because they've managed to bamboozle us with the science in a way they never could with global warming. Well, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.